This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. How does somebody decide to get into pole vaulting? You know, you have to be a little crazy to want to try it, which I am. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guests are 2016 Olympic silver medalist in the women's pole vault, Sandy Morris, and the 2016 bronze medalist in the men's pole vault, Sam Kendricks. Presented by Geico. Today, we are visiting two of America's premier pole vaulters who, like all the other top gold medal hopefuls, have had to set aside their Olympic aspirations when the COVID-19 pandemic caused the Summer Games in Tokyo to be postponed until 2021. We'll talk with Sam Kendricks, who won a bronze medal at the Rio Olympics back in 2016, a bit later on. But we start with the Pied Piper of women's pole vaulting. I'm delighted to welcome in high-flying Olympic silver medalist Sandy Morris. Sandy, welcome to Game Time. So a very unfunny thing happened. The pandemic gets in the way of the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Um, What did that feel like when you heard that it was going to be moved to 2021? It was kind of a shock. Um, I think that's what most of the world was experiencing is a shock. It it didn't feel real. Um, Feels like the twilight zone. So, you know, something big enough to to move the Olympic Games is happening. Um, And I think the first thing I have to do is step back and realize this is a lot bigger than myself and it's a lot bigger than sports. This is something that's taking over the entire world right now. But it was a hard pill to swallow. You know, it's something that we've trained for our entire careers and you plan for it to be on a certain day at a certain moment at a certain time. And all of a sudden that's all just blown up. And still in today's environment, we still don't know exactly what our season's going to potentially look like. It's hard to know what to do in training. Um, so it's just been taking life one day at a time and, and workouts one day at a time. As a pole vaulter, you're by yourself. I mean, you have to motivate yourself. You're out on the track by yourself with your coach, of course. And I would imagine that at times it gets pretty lonely. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the story of a professional track athlete, to be honest. Uh, we're very much on our own in a lot of senses. You do have some groups that will train in certain areas. Like you'll have a group of sprinters who stick together. Um, But as a professional pole vaulter, I train normally at the University of Arkansas and I train with the college athletes, but they're on a different schedule than me. So I'll work out at the track maybe at the same time, but I'm doing a different workout. Um, So it is pretty much my coach and I. You just have to stay positive and you have to use the time that we're suddenly given. We're suddenly given the gift of time. 
so I'm going to use it. You know, it's interesting. As a kid, it was easy for me to pick up a football, a basketball, a baseball, those things readily around the house. How, how does somebody decide to get into pole vaulting? It, you're right. It is a very niche, unique event. Uh, track and field runs in my family. My, my parents were both track athletes. Um, they were both multi-eventers. So my dad did the decathlon. So pole vaulting is one of the events that my dad did. At age seven, I was begging my parents to put me on a track team because all I wanted to do was race. I loved racing little kids. And, you know, when a little kid figures out they're good at something, that's all they want to do. And I discovered I was fast. And so track was all I wanted to do. And then in eighth grade, I saw pole vaulting and I was like, daddy, daddy, what's, what's that over there? I want to go do that. And I was hooked. I mean, I was the little kid that you couldn't keep from climbing the 40-foot magnolia tree out in our front yard, <laughs> grabbing onto the top 40 feet up there, making it swing back and forth. So pole vaulting was naturally, you know, you have to be a little crazy to want to try it, well, which I am. You initially wanted to go to UNC to become a veterinarian, right? Yep. All right. So then in the middle of all of this, you decide that you're going to transfer to Arkansas and you're gonna redo everything that you've already learned. Now, I know this as a former athlete myself, to, as a quarterback, if somebody had to reteach me how to throw or reteach me how to use my hips and my feet, that was a very difficult thing later on in my career. Now, you decided to do this when you went to Arkansas with your coach there. What was that like? I remember when I first got there and, and he looked at me and he said, you can jump about maybe 14, maybe 15 feet your mm -hmm. way or you can reinvent the wheel and you can maybe someday break the world record my way. And that was definitely something that got my blood pumping when I was, you know, a 19 year old kid going to him and I was like, he thinks I have the potential to break the world record, which I still haven't done. I'm still chasing that, you know, but I've gotten kind of close and, and that's still a sentence that motivates me to this day. So yeah. I was happy to reinvent it. Seven weeks before the 2016 Olympic trials, Sandy Morris's pulse snapped during a competition in the Czech Republic of all places. And guess what? She suffered a broken wrist. The doctor told her she couldn't vault for six weeks, but she was undaunted, as you can tell. And I knew I could do it, she said. I think that's the key to sports pure confidence. And where does that confidence come from, Sandy? Confidence is something that. I think some of us are innately born with, but then you learn how to nurture it. And that has been one of my biggest, I feel like assets is believing in myself. And that's why I've been able to conquer so many things. And it definitely helps when you have a web of people behind you. So I knew I had the right doctors on my side. I knew I had the right coach on my side, training partners, everything. And I just had to believe in them. And so when the doctor told me, you can't use your wrist for six weeks, but I could still do a lot of things. I, I took it kind of like I am now during COVID, get creative in workouts. How can I stay fit for a pole vault event when I can't pole vault? Well, I can still run. Um, I can still find modified ways to weight lift. So I just had to believe. And then that day when I finally got to the Olympic trials, eight weeks after fracturing my wrist, I knew, okay, I'm in shape. I didn't forget how to pole vault. It's like riding a bike. And as long as I run down there and I plant this pole as hard as I can, I think I can do this. And just believing in myself is what got me onto that Olympic team. I'll take you back Friday night, August 19th, 2016, Sandy. And this was the night that 
the gold medal was all so close and you're 100 feet away from that gold medal. And I know that you probably felt it in your heart that this was going to be the jump of your life. And I don't know what touched the crossbar. I, I still to this day cannot figure out why that crossbar didn't stay up. I had a lot of emotions throughout this competition because I was out there to prove to the world that I was back, that the wrist fracture didn't set me back, um, and that I was, I was a contender for the medal positions. And when the fourth place woman went out and I knew I was in the top three and I knew I secured a medal, at that point I was like, all right, I got a medal, now let's just go for this gold medal. And I remember when uh, Katarina Stefaniti, she's the one who did win gold, when she missed her third attempt at the next height, that I had to make in order to beat her. Um, she goes out and I had my one shot left at this bar and I was standing on the back of the runway and I knew if I make this bar, I'm a gold medalist. And in my heart, I was like, anything can happen right now. And I remember planting that pole and it felt, you can, there's this feeling when you're connecting with the pole and you're flying straight up, the jump felt just right. And I thought I was over the bar. And like you said, I go back today and I watch the video and I think it was my left thigh that just barely, just barely kissed that bar. And it was just enough to take the bar off. But I remember that split second in the air when I thought I had the gold medal and I'm going to live off of that feeling of thinking I'm a gold medalist for a second, because that is the feeling that I'm going after for Tokyo. Well, I'll tell you what, it was, it was a, an amazing moment. I know that uh, you put everything into it. Did you, could you feel it on your thigh? Could you feel that you touched that crossbar? I didn't feel a thing. I'm telling you, I, to this day, I can't even believe that that was enough to take the bar off, but it was. And I think it was meant to be because that moment has motivated me throughout my entire career. Three weeks after that, I hit a new personal best and I jumped five meters, which only three women in history have done. Regardless of whether she gets gold in Tokyo next summer, Sandy Morris says that she knows she's already made an impact on her sport, and she really has. I actually told her beforehand that a friend of mine in my life is a pole vaulting coach. I told him I was interviewing her, and he was like, man, she's the greatest. Your personality transcends the sport, and that's the greatest thing, I think, and impact you should be proud of, Sandy. My focus is being on a good person even more so than one of the best pole vaulters in the world. I want to have a good impact on people. I want to make people feel good about themselves. I love when I interact with other athletes or young kids and I help them believe in themselves. I believe a person is defined by how you make other people feel. Do you make people feel good when they interact with you? Do they walk away and feel good about themselves and feel like they're important and that you care about them? And that's definitely my biggest goal in life is just to make others believe in themselves. Sandy, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You are definitely a breath of fresh air. I love your confidence and good luck in 2021 in Tokyo and go for that world record. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. It is my pleasure now to bring in Olympic bronze medalist and two-time world champion, Sam Kendrick. Sam, welcome to Game Time. Hey, thanks, Boomer. I think you were playing for the Bengals when I first started my whole journey. Yeah, well, I appreciate you remembering that. And when I think of Oxford, Mississippi, Sam, you know who I think of? Archie and Eli Manning. Hell yeah. Good friend of mine. You basically put Ole Miss on the pole vaulting map, and I would imagine that is a very uh, strong source of pride for you. 
Absolutely. You know, I saw Eli on the walls and the billboards and everything when he came to Ole Miss and he really did the Rebel team strong. And you hear, you see 10 and 18 all around town. So I had a good role model when it comes to taking the jump into collegiate and professional sports. I didn't really come up with it myself. Well, you, like me, had the ultimate role model, and that's your dad. And your your dad, Scott, was a Marine pilot and a horseman, of course. He is still the high school pole vaulting coach there, and he is still your coach. What's that like being coached consistently by your dad, not only as a pole vaulter, but as a man? Oh, absolutely. You're right. Being trained as a, a young a young boy with my twin brother by an old Marine is certainly a, <laughs> a different life situation. The everything, everything's got a mission. It does. And it was really good for me. He pushed me to, to, to pursue that excellence. And it led me to want to be a, a soldier first and foremost. But I'll tell you what the biggest benefit of having a father as a coach is you have a spot on the team. And that is, that's kind of the, the, the moral of my story. If you're seeking the team, you can find a spot because I didn't have a spot on the squad unless my father was the coach. I had to find a niche position and that was pole vaulting in the beginning. And let me ask you about you personally and why it takes you as long as it has to become the success that you are, whether it be high school, college, even the pros. And all of a sudden a light goes on and you start winning everything in sight. Well, you're, you've touched on something that's the truth. Not everybody notices that I got beat a whole lot. And that is kind of the, the meme of my career. Sam loses a whole lot before he ever started winning a single one in high school. Uh, I actually, when I first started this sport, I started training with the girls' squad. Uh, back in 2004, the girls' pole vaulting became an event in Mississippi. And so I got to share their equipment which is a cool connection. And I got to watch people like Stacy Dragila, who was a gold medalist in 2000, the first gold medalist at the Olympics, in fact, to learn how to pole vault. I didn't watch the guys. I couldn't hold a candle to them. I couldn't hold a candle to my heroes because they were just way too athletic. I didn't have those skills. And so I got beat a lot. But a cool thing about having a coach as a father is you always have a key to the track. And so I accrued a massive amount of training hours. And he was telling me stories of Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Sebastian Coe. And these are the things that I, I didn't really grow up with somebody telling me where to step left and right. I, I heard the legacies of the athletes that came before me that really helped paint a picture of what I could do in the future if I had the patience. And so when I became a professional in 2015, well, I still got beat a whole lot, but I was moving up the list. And slowly but surely, after the Olympics, I started becoming the name I am in the sport today eventually having an undefeated season the year after the Olympics. One of the only pole vaulters to ever to do it. Well, let me take you back to Rio 2016. Now, during a qualifying heat, you're running down the runway and you're getting ready to do a jump to qualify and to move on. And all of a sudden in the background, you hear the national anthem. What did you do next? Well, I'm sure you know this is the truth. The uh as a young person, your life changes so much every couple of years. And that singular moment, not winning my bronze medal so much, but being the man I was trained to be, the man I knew in my heart to be on the track right then and respecting my national anthem. I came off the track after the final and that video was playing all around the world. And that, my father, he says to me, he says, you're probably going to be more known for this than anything else in sports. It just came from those age old days training at my old high school with a baseball field right next door. Summer baseball, they always start this game with the national anthem. And so, hey, I'm training to be a soldier. I always wanted to be a soldier first and foremost. Um, that just, hey, 
you resort to your lowest level of training when you get in a stressful situation like the Olympics. And that's just what happens. Yeah, I have to tell you, doing getting ready for this interview, Sam, I went back and I looked at that. I remembered it and I saw it, you know, a bunch of times when, when it actually happened. Uh, but going back, it actually gave me chills, especially with what's going on in the world today. Uh, you know, you were the first Olympic uh, pole vaulter to win a medal since 2004, back in 2016. So what was that like standing on the podium, knowing that you had your medal? Well, more so than anything I've discovered that I didn't think I would learn when I first started out is this sport is a fraternity. It's a brotherhood. And so having a bronze medal connected me to the legacy of so many great athletes before me. And I've had the opportunity over the last years to meet these men and understand their stories and see what similar paths we walked. And that has been the most amazing thing that this sport has given me is a little perspective on how you use your image and your ability to impact the future of your sport and make a space for those young competitors. Sam Kendricks has said that being the typical reckless pole vaulter, he is not scared of injury or failure, but what he does fear is no hiding, whatever that may be. Getting over that first part is really hard. All right, so educate all of us. What is no hiding in the sport of pole vaulting? Well, uh, no hiding is, is, a, is a term we use as jumpers to say you failed probably on every level you could. And that it stinks. And life, life can come at you quick and fast, but no quicker and no faster than a not completing the, any pass in the first quarter. Uh, they're probably going to take you out of the game. But if, uh, if you're on the track and you get three attempts at that first bar, you did something horribly wrong. You didn't think about it. You didn't frame it right. And I endeavored to take that out of the sport. I don't want it to become so hard. I don't want it to be such a challenge to just start playing the game. And so my war on no hiding has been going ever since I started in this sport. And I've never actually had a competition where I failed to clear a bar. Well, that's good. And, you know, I know you were just talking about being undefeated and you're just peaking this year when the pandemic hits and the Olympics gets moved to next year. How hard is it going to be for you to get where you are today a year from now? When it comes to something like this, uh, everybody is going to call it by a different name. I'll call it a pause in the year. It doesn't affect me as much as it's going to affect the next generation, those collegiates that are going to come out, the people that need to get on the stage in order to get that clout, that reputation. It's going to progress their careers. I certainly was the beneficiary of much, much momentum in 2014 and 2015. And with a year like this, it would have been very difficult. But I've been on a championship grind for five years. A year is not gonna do me in. But it's my job is at the top of the sport to say that it can be done, it can be brought back. So what I'm doing the last few months in the next few months is going out and competing under whatever stricture and guideline are put upon me and my team, we got to go out and compete and show that it can be done and so that the next generation will be able to do it. You know, I know the, the, the goal was always the gold medal, but do you have to have a, I guess, a goal in mind to get there? How high do you think you have to jump to win a gold medal at the Olympics next year? There are two or three amazing, hard-hitting competitors that I'm going to have to contend with for that gold medal next year. The world record holder currently is the young prodigy from Louisiana jumps for Sweden. His name is Mondo. My friend Piotr Lisek and my friend Renaud Levillani. These guys are champions in their own right, and they have been my vice champion at many, many games besides, and I have been theirs. 
and others. Now, they will be the true test coming next year. And every other young potential coming along the way, the dark horses, you don't see them coming until they're there on the final at the track. Well, well said, Sam. You know, I actually see politics in your future. You know how not to answer a question. That's very good. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Our thanks to Sam Kendricks and to Sandy Morris for joining us earlier and to all of you for watching on Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time. All right, Sandy, what day is the, the jump in Greenville? All right. Tomorrow. We're vaulting Tomorrow. here in my neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Well, so come on by. We don't have enough runway for you to do your full approach, <laughs> but... You can come I'll do some do training jumps. I'll just do it backwards. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> then we can pull all backwards and Sam. Oh, that's, <laughs> oh, that's great. great. As if frontwards isn't hard enough.